Who is Dr. John Butler? Part 2. Welcome to HypnoTalks. I'm your host, Axel Hombach. I'm the head of the Hypnosezentrum Köln in Germany, where I work as a hypnocoach and trainer for hypnosis and self-hypnosis. I'm currently online with Dr. John Butler to continue to discover more about who Dr. John Butler is and what brought him to hypnosis. So let's greet John Butler. Hello, John. Hello, Axel. The HDI is the Hypnotherapy Training International, one of the leading schools of hypnotherapy training in the world. The HDI continues the work and legacy of the original HDI, the Hypnotism Training Institute in Los Angeles, founded by the legendary Gil Boyne. Gil Boyne changed hypnotism, hypnosis and hypnotherapy with his seminal transforming therapy approach in a way probably no one else has and whose method is still, over 50 years later, the principal foundation of modern hypnotherapy. Gil Boyne became the publisher of Dave Ellman's book and audio recordings when they had disappeared from publication and so probably saved Dave Ellman's legacy for our benefit. The research neurologist Dr. John Butler is Gil Boyne's successor, trained and licensed by Gil Boyne to teach transforming therapy. He is the head of the HDI and also of Westwood Publishing. And he's one of the leading medical and psychological hypnotherapists in the world. Many of the participants of his classes and workshops regard him an outstanding teacher. Now, John, after this introduction, in this second part, we are going to talk about your background in hypnosis. How did you get involved with hypnosis? About your early experiences? Who did you meet? Who did you train with? Not only in hypnotherapy, hypnosis, but also in psychology and psychotherapy. And how has that influenced your work? You were very young when you were first interested in hypnosis and started with hypnosis. Perhaps we could start with how you got involved with hypnosis. Well, that's a very long story, Axel. Um, okay, make it short. I'll make it as short as I can, indeed. Well, when I was very young, I, I somehow always had a strong feeling that there, was a, there were a lot of potentials in the human mind that weren't being uh, used, uh, so that part of my interest was in exploring the the mind, the person at the very deepest of levels. Uh, I was brought up with, of course, with a, a very straight view of religion uh, that, you know, told people what to think about life, but I was quite independent and rebellious as well. In my teenage years, I became interested in many, many uh, systems and philosophies, and I developed an interest in the Eastern tradition of philosophy and psychology and looked at all kinds of... Uh, religious systems of East and West, looking for answers and to discover more about the mind. And I studied yoga. I got involved with different... Uh, in my teens, I was very involved with meditation systems. I was interested in martial arts as well. And of course, there is a part of that, uh, of those systems that involves using the mind in specific ways, through concentration, through stilling the mind, through different kinds of meditation. So all of that was part of my interest, and I 
went to listen in my teenage years to different gurus and yogis. And I discovered a lot of dross, of course, but I also found things that were very interesting. And in midst all of that, there was a very strong interest in hypnosis because of the unusual things that hypnosis seemed to do could make happen within the individual. Being able to control pain, being able to influence physiological functions in the body, and also the changes in behavior would sometimes create that people who are maybe very inhibited in a hypnotic state or trance or whatever one wants to call it, after a hypnotic procedure, they could become very different kinds of people. So that got me interested in uh, using hypnosis at a as deep a level as I could, I could manage. And I trained with several people over the years. I had elements of training from people who are policemen, uh, people who were doctors who dabbled in it or who knew a certain amount at least, but were not what I would say uh, formally trained. And there was very little uh, in the way of formal training courses back then. I did find one or two courses that went over about 100 hours, 120 hours. And while I was studying practical psychology, not just academic psychology, I studied certain systems of psychotherapy, which all fed into my knowledge of the use of hypnosis in therapy. I was fortunate to find Gil Boyne's work, and through discovering his work, I became very acquainted with Gil himself and did a very in-depth training with Gill, analyzed his work in great detail, which was of great interest to him. So he had me, invited me to teach with him. And so over many years, we taught many classes together, occasionally more basic courses, but more often master classes in different cities in America and in several parts of the world. So that was a very important part of my training in hypnotherapy. You're also trained in several methods of psychotherapy and you are licensed by the European Association of Psychology. The EAP is not any organization in psychotherapy. How did you get involved with them? How did you get involved with this kind of psychotherapy with the European Association of Psychotherapy? Yes, well... I, I trained in several forms of psychotherapy. One of my trainings was in autogenic psychotherapy, which nowadays is a four-year uh, training course. It was three years back then. I trained with other schools of psychotherapy as well, more of the integrative model, although I had a lot of psychotherapy training that was in the old-fashioned psychodynamic or psychoanalytical model. And I had a lot of therapy, which is the was a major part of the training. So I was well versed and immersed in psychotherapy as well. Out of that training, I was able to register with some of the regulatory bodies, uh, the UK Council for Psychotherapy in the UK. And you just mentioned that one then, the European Association for Psychotherapy. And that's where that certification comes from. I'm still a member of that body. So when did you learn the first time about Gilboyne? Was it by accident or did someone tell you about him? How did you discover him? Well, 
as I remember it, uh, I came across an old poorly duplicated video cassette back in the late 80s. And I looked at this uh, person doing therapy and I was very pleasantly surprised at the quality of the work. I found the work, his work to be very powerful. His concepts were clear. It was very client oriented and dealt directly with the subconscious material. And I felt this is a very effective way of using hypnotherapy. I'd already trained in several schools of hypnotherapy and some of the emphasis was very Ericksonian, which I felt has its place, and other forms of hypnotherapy. Uh, some of an old-fashioned psychoanalytic basis to it. And I've come across, it was through Gil, I came across the work of Dave Ellman, who had been a strong influence on Gil Boyne himself. But Gil had training with many famous psychotherapists and psychologists, and he, and psychiatrists, and he brought that into his work as well. So he had extensive training and a vast amount of knowledge. He wasn't uh, focused on the academic way of thinking because in his life he hadn't uh, had the opportunity, despite winning scholarships to universities, he hadn't the opportunity to take up those, those possibilities. He was uh, self-taught. I mean, he had a great range of knowledge of academic theory and he had the gift of being able to extract what was useful and strip away things that were more theoretically speculative and including sometimes the verbiage, the unnecessary verbiage that sometimes goes with intellectual speculation. So Gill had done a lot of work himself on trying to understand what hypnosis actually is. And above all else, he'd been a clinical practitioner of many years by the time I met him. And that skill and experience and knowledge all showed and to me, it was impressive. So I chose him as one of my main teachers. I would say my primary teacher in hypnotherapy. And through him, of course, I've got to know a great deal about the history of hypnotherapy because Gill was, well, he was an encyclopedia of knowledge, not only about hypnotherapy and psychological therapies generally, but Gill had a personal knowledge of some of the most famous hypnotherapists in the United States over the years. And it was quite fascinating to hear him talking about his experiences with them, either as a client in therapy or in his communications with them over the years. So that was one major part of my training in hypnotherapy, my work with Gil Boyne. I remember how you told that you analyzed Gil Boyne's work his recordings, and Gil Boyne was very impressed also with the depth of your analysis and so asked you to teach with him. Yes, it, it was a funny matter how that occurred because although I'd, Gil had known me then for some years and uh, we'd been become good friends uh, over a quite a period of time, I was at a conference, if I remember, that he heard a recording had been made of me teaching a class on advanced analytical hypnotherapy. And as part of the course that I was giving, I analyzed one of his case studies, which had been filmed. And I had produced a, a handout to go with the teaching that I gave on this case study. And Gil happened to get hold of the recording and the uh, transcript, the, the document that I produced. And he was immediately impressed rang me up and said, 
oh, I think you understand more about my, own, my work than I do. And he said, uh, I'd like you to come and teach with me when I give master classes. I think it'll add an extra important dimension to my teaching of my work in hypnotherapy. Basically, Gil did a lot of his teaching from his many case studies he'd filmed over the years, interspersed with lectures and demonstrations, but those training videos of his case studies are still remarkable by today's, by any standards. And uh, I did, I over the years made an analysis, a detailed analysis of many of those classic case studies. So that was how you started teaching with Gilboin. How long did you teach with him? Oh, all told, it was about 10 years, the last 10 years that we traveled and taught together in many cities in America and in the UK and in other countries as well. Gil was into his early 70s by then, but very active in his teaching. And um, as I say, we, uh, we taught together over that decade. If I may ask, how old were you when you met Gil Boyne? Oh, well, when I first met him, oh, I would have been in my uh, late 30s. But the time when I began teaching with him was quite a bit older, I would say probably about late 40s. So you have a lot of extensive knowledge of transforming therapy. And considering that you taught with him for over 10 years, you're probably the most knowledgeable person on transforming therapy there is. Well, thank you, Axel. Uh, I certainly have been keeping uh, transforming therapy uh, out there in the public in the way Gil wanted it, out in the public perspective in mind. And really, he, uh, yes, he, he licensed me to teach his work and encouraged me to take it and develop it. And we keep evolving in our work, developing the systems further. And um, transforming therapy is the the brand label, if you like, for the form of analytical hypnotherapy that we teach to our students and practice in our clinical work. And it does take, in my view, hypnotherapy to a very high level of effectiveness and takes it way beyond programming with simple scripts. Uh, there's a lot of programming of an advanced level in analytical hypnotherapy but also learning to uncover and analyze material from the past that has become problematic at a subconscious level and that cannot be changed sufficiently by purely intellectual, rational, or even so-called cognitive levels of operation of the mind. So analytical hypnotherapy, and specifically transforming therapy, is really a, kind of our trademark at this point. And you are holding up the flag and develop it further. Yes, indeed. As I understood, you not only are trained in analytical hypnotherapy, transforming therapy, but you have also got a background in Ericksonian hypnotherapy. Well, Ericksonian hypnotherapy is, is quite a... A strange concept to deal with because Erickson didn't believe himself that there was such a thing, although we used the label to describe an approach, which is really an approach that is saying, be creative, uh, work with what the client gives you, and don't try and impose your own theories and outcomes, the outcomes you might have for the client, 
uh, let them make the journey and you work very flexibly with them. Now, it's sometimes interpreted that you only work with metaphors and indirect suggestions. And I think that's very much trivializing his work. He was very inventive. He could be very direct and very indirect. And of course, he worked with a very difficult clients a lot of the time, patients who were mentally disturbed. So one can understand that some of the methodology he used wasn't always as uh, necessary for the general population of clients that most therapists would come to uh, to see. So I think sometimes Erickson's work gets distorted by people taking a very rigid view of just looking at what Erickson was doing, forming their own theories, and then calling that their model of it, they're calling that that's Ericksonian. I feel uh, over the years, I had the good fortune to train with people who knew Erickson well, who had trained with him, and I learned a lot of important things from them, which feed into the work that we do. But I would not ever train people in Ericksonian hypnotherapy, because I feel at this point, it's almost misleading as such, and it doesn't really fit with Erickson's view himself of his work. I think he would describe himself as a hypnotherapist uh, who was creative and he would want people to learn hypnosis in the most creative and the least dogmatic, inflexible manner, which was how it was often taught in the past in a very simplistic painting by numbers approach. So Erickson was very creative and inventive in that way. And we can learn a lot from that. And as he would say, be your own therapist, be it a Humbachian therapist or a Butlerian therapist, not an Ericksonian, he would say. You've had a number of appearances in documentaries. And in one of those documentaries, you undergo a heinous surgery where you put yourself in a deep state of self-hypnosis while the surgeons work on you. So you could be considered an expert in hypnoanesthesia, hypnosurgery and pain management with hypnosis. Yes, Axel, over the years uh, in the UK, I've been one of the people promoting hypnosis in this application uh, very actively. So in the modern era, I'm one of several people, uh, modern day pioneers, if you want to call it that, emphasizing the value of hypnosis. For pain management, in both surgical, chronic pain and surgeries, we see a great deal of value of hypnosis, not only for the pain management, uh, but to help people deal with the invasive effects of surgery, the post-operative complications, the stress, anxieties, the stress on the mind and body. And then we give them much better recovery and healing. We need more research, of course, to, to justify some of the, the statements we make. That's if we put it out as a hard and fast finding, we would need more research on it. But what we can definitely say at the moment, all of our observations, clinically careful observations, show people benefit greatly from using hypnosis in surgery and in, with many difficult medical procedures. In fact, across a wide range of medical applications. But the pain control is one of the most wonderful things to see that the human being has the power to undergo not only more minor surgeries, but very, very severe surgeries. And uh, within us, we have the power to control that pain so that it is no longer pain. 
It is simply experienced as just the activity of the surgeon working. And we can know that they're working and not feel discomfort and pain and yet be, and at the same time being then very relaxed and coming through that surgery in a way that's so different than if you have to be given chemicals and sedated and coming out of that then feeling an awful lot of discomfort afterwards. Now, we don't say it's there to replace anesthetics because they are a great benefit to humanity compared to the days before chemical anesthesia. However, we should recognize there are still limitations and potential complications with chemical anesthesia, particularly for elderly and weaker people. And certainly hypnosis could help them with a combination of hypnosis and chemical anesthesia. And that is a very practical and non-stressful thing for both the patient and the surgeon to contemplate. And in those cases where there is an unusual need to avoid the chemical, the ordinary chemoanesthetics, we have that wonderful option that with some proper training, a person can undergo surgery without chemical anesthesia. Talking about proper training, I assume that you also give specialized trainings or classes in pain management for the general hypnotic practitioner, the general hypnotist, as well as for more medical oriented uh, hypnotists, hypnotists who work in the medical field. Yes, we do include uh, in our medical hypnotherapy courses quite a component devoted to uh, hypnoanesthesia, as we call it. Now, we also run courses for surgeons and anesthetists on an irregular basis and also for dentists that they can learn to use it in their clinical applications. And that's something we've done with marvelous results. We've seen several of my students work and have painless dentistry, even quite severe dentistry, and also to help them with severe surgical procedures. And all in all, I believe that we are the organization, the training school in the UK that really makes that a major part, kind of a signature part of our medical hypnotherapy training, the powerful use of hypnosis for anesthesia. So you have a fair amount of practice in hypnosis, 2016, that are almost 40 years of practical experience in the application of hypnosis. Yes, well, I, I date my first uh, professional clinical use of hypnosis to 1980. Prior to that, for around about a, a 10 years before that, I'd used it in ser several settings, not always calling it hypnosis. Sometimes we would call it guided imagery, visualization combined with meditation. And of course, the name hypnosis is very much a Western name given to the experience of hypnosis. I'd used it for quite a long time before that. However, 1980, that's now 36 years of wow. using it clinically. Of clinical practice. Yes. And from 1990 was when I first, having had about 10 years of good, uh, sufficient clinical practice, I felt ready to teach people from the basis of knowledge and experience, not just from uh, book learning and minimal clinical experience. Thank you very much, John. And before we come to an end... Have you got some last words for our listeners? Well, Axel, I hope anybody out there who is not already a hypnotherapist will feel 
interested and compelled to look further into this very important topic to really understand its great value and to use it for themselves and their lives and for people who are also interested in learning more about it, who already have training in it, that they can contact us and find out more about how they can take their skills to the very highest levels. Having trained with you, I can highly recommend your classes. Thank you very much, Axel. You're most welcome. Again, thank you very much, John, for your time, for your information, for your insight, for the details about you, for letting us participate and know more about you. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye for now. To all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to part one of Who is Dr. John Butler?, Please do it now, check it out and enjoy to learn more about the man behind Transforming Therapy. If you have liked this interview, please subscribe to our channels, go to our web pages and share the files. With that said, have a good day and talk to you soon again. Goodbye for now.